Welcome to A Brew and a Biscuit, a podcast for those who want to live a more intentional life and take a different path. I'm your host, Nicolette LaFonseca. Before I introduce this episode, I wanted to remind you to please rate and review the podcast. And by doing so, you also get entered into a competition to win a hamper that is filled with goodies. It's filled with lots of yummy treats, a beautiful art print and a recycled woolen blanket. And it comes encased in a stunning wicker hamper. All you have to do is rate and review on iTunes Or if you are not an iTunes person, you can do this on Podcast Addict. Let me know that you have rated and reviewed the podcast. You can reach me on at Archie in the Rug on Instagram, or you can email me nicolettebrewpod at gmail.com. Just need to do that so that I can track you down and give you your lovely prize. Rating and reviewing is a really good way to support any podcasts and help them find a wider audience. Today is a really, really good episode. I interviewed the lovely Hannah Nunn and we talk about her creative journey, the state of the high street, uh, why nature is so important and inspiring. It's a really lovely chat and a great way to spend your Sunday. I hope you enjoy. So I'm here today with Hannah Nunn, who is a designer of lighting and wallpaper and textiles and window film, and also is author right now. Can I say author because you have your book, Tiny Things, kind of? I suppose you can, yeah. yeah. You can call me I don't know author because you also had the book. You did have the book, Illuminate. I did have a a, a real-life published book. A real-life book. So kind of a creative wonder and former neighbour, I'm proud (laughs) to say. So so that's Hannah Nunn. (laughs) Thank you for a lovely introduction. So I wanted to talk to... (laughs) I wanted to talk to you basically about your creative journey, and some of which I know, but it was quite an interesting journey because it wasn't the traditional route of, you know, study art, go to art college, graduate art college, get contract, be artist. Um, Can you tell me more about how that happened? It's funny you should say that, actually, because before reading this podcast, I had to do an interview online with the Office for National Statistics. Very boring. Um, But he was asking all about my qualifications, and it was like, oh, my God, that sounds really bad. It's like I got my GCSEs, I was great and fine. And then um, I did this weird foundation course where you did a foundation in a year, but you also did some A-levels as well, art A-level and art history. And because the foundation people were pushing you in one direction and getting you to experiment and play with different materials and everything, and the art, art A-level people were getting you to just paint these really kind of traditional still lives and stuff. It just didn't work. And all the people in this pioneering group to test out whether this works, we all failed our A-levels. So that didn't really go so well. So I'm telling this guy on the phone, you know, I got my GCSEs, but I didn't have any A-levels to speak of. And, And then I only did a year of my college before I dropped out. And so I don't have a higher education or a degree or 
anything really. Um, I was like, but you know, I am one of those people who went to art college and actually became an artist afterwards. So <laughs> I'm quite pleased with how it how it turned out, really. Absolutely. I think it's always really inspiring because I think some people who have gone down a traditional route, maybe, you know, and obviously some do that and mm-hmm. are massively yeah. successful. But I don't know if sometimes like having to fit in that box of getting the grades uh sometimes kind of beats some of the ingenuity out of you yeah because you know it's a different it's a different market isn't it it's it's yeah to to get the grades and to please a tutor might not always be where you need to be creatively no no I mean like I said on on this um pre-foundation course that we did I was very very happy playing with clay and playing with textiles and playing with bits of tinfoil as it happened I wasn't so happy painting the the still lives no one really taught me how to paint but they were there on the course telling you how to experiment so that's what I learned how to do is how to how to play and how to explore ideas and how to keep sketchbooks and how to gather things and which is what you do so beautifully now really Thank you. I do. I gather. (laughs) You do. I kind of feel that all of your work, and you can see that from like your Instagram and also even after the tiny thing, the tiny things paper. Tiny treasures. Just (laughs) tiny treasures, tiny things. Do you know, I'm saying tiny things because there's tiny things in one of my kids' books, and now I've got tiny things in my head. Um, Yeah, tiny treasures. So anyone trying to Google for that book, it's tiny treasures, not tiny things. But that's funny because when you Google tiny things, when you Google tiny treasures, there's actually like um, a really creepy little um, doll called Tiny Treasures that cries. <laughs> oh God, is that okay? No, Tiny Tiny Treasures, the book or the wallpaper. <laughs> Be specific with Google because it can it can go rogue. <laughs> Almost as if I've been on a walk, a country walk with you, and you've just shown me your notebook of like look what I found Nick and I I, I found there's like there's an intimacy to your to your work for as a an observer that's that's nice that's nice to know I always kind of say it's not just a leaf that I've drawn it's that leaf it's that leaf that I found on that day on that walk when it was raining and we hid under a tree or that cow parsley that I stopped to look at on the way to Jack Bridge you know it's like it's not just kind of just finding random things it's like really something that I stopped and noticed one time and so it becomes like a little memory a little story a little treasure for me I think that is it I think it's it's unusual to see in pattern design and surface design which is what you've branched mm. into well not you've branched into for quite a while now with mm. your, your range of papers and fabrics and to have still the element of storytelling as if you know it's it's self-evident mm. from looking at it that it's not being some poor designer sat in a yeah in a massive room saying right you're a drafts person we want flowers we want this we want that and, and they're just having to go no. to google images and go okay right uh, let me draw leaves it is going on a walk it is being very present in the countryside and having that story told to you absolutely yeah and I I wouldn't last long in that environment I don't think I'd take a long time over my patterns I I wouldn't be very employable (laughs) because I just you know I take a lot of time creating each motif 
and placing it in the right spot and trying to make the pattern flow and but going back to the the humble beginnings of Hannah Nunn I think when I first met you you'd not long opened your first shop yeah, yeah. I, well I remember seeing your lamps in and around Hebden Bridge cafes and stuff and then you'd opened your shop and I got chatting to you because you were telling me about and I don't think this exists anymore from the art council. I'm not sure if it does. It was was it a marketing grant or a, mm. an experiment with materials grant? Yeah, I'm were, not sure of the exact name. There but. Were two grants at the time that the arts council supported me with, and they don't exist anymore. Not in this form, anyway. But the first one was called the research and development grant, and I applied for them because I'd had this idea about making lighting. The grant just gave me some funds to play with materials and take a little bit of time out to really experiment in a focused way, which was amazing. And then once I had my idea, months, months later, lots of playing, lots of experimenting, lots of trying things out, I then got a research and development grant from the Arts Council as well. And that enabled me to get the little tripod made that goes inside each lamp. Mm-hmm. It's made by a local, they're up in Keithley plastic mould manufacturer and then take the range of lights to the first craft fair which happened to be the British Craft Trade Fair back in 2003 which is seems like so long ago it is it's a long time ago yeah yeah. but it's been a a really good journey to see you go from making a few lamps to having a shop and championing championing lighting yeah. design which was your first book illuminates is that right yes it was yeah and that kind that came about because I, I had the shop and I was like right in the heart of the design and maker artisan lighting world in this country and you kind of who was who was making what in lights in handmade lights and invited them all in into my shop and one day I was at the Great Northern Contemporary Craft Fair showing my work and a lady was chatting to me about the shop and I was enthusing about people's work and all the different things that people were doing and later she came back to my stand and she said can you write? I was like um I think so a bit maybe (laughs) and she said you know we want to put this book together about um, craft lighting and you seem like you're in the heart of things and would you like to write it? Which was very exciting for me. I got this publishing deal and wrote Illuminate. So you can call me an author. I can call you an author. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See? <laughs> Do you think that the lay of the land has changed somewhat in terms of accessibility for artists and creators now who haven't gone the traditional route, you know, with for example, Crafts Council or Arts Council money, you know, a lot of the time they're asking on the forms like your Office of National Statistics. (laughs) Why is statistics a difficult word to say? I I could never work there for that reason. Where do you work? Oh, somewhere, (laughs) an office with crunch numbers. (laughs) That that people are asking for this, um, a more traditional qualification and maybe denying ourselves some very creative wonderful people because they didn't fit a traditional mm. mold mm. that's really interesting because I was as you were asking me I thought you were going to 
say about how it possibly easier these days to make it on your own just because of like the boom of the internet and Instagram and the wider reach across the world to sell your things if you manage to kind of attract the right customers and so on one hand it's a lot easier to get your name out there but then I wonder if it is more difficult now because way back when I applied for the Arts Council funding I know that their applications are really tricksy and they're really hard and you have to really put a lot into them now I'm not saying that I didn't in the time but I sent them a mind map with a with drawings on it and it wasn't like a kind of heavy um, heavily written thing and obviously they didn't mind about my qualifications did they it just seemed like I probably wouldn't get the funding if I applied for that now as I did back then 20 years ago so I don't know, maybe some things have got easier and some things have got more difficult. Yeah, I definitely think there's, um, well, there are more of us. Just generally, there are more humans. And so statistically, well, statistically is actually easier to say. Statistically, <laughs> there are definitely going to be um, more creatives. If there are more humans, there's going to be definitely more creatives. So there are, yeah, it's a that- bigger pond to be swimming in, isn't it? Especially with things like you were saying with social media. Yeah, it can be more sort of encouraging or maybe of putting, I don't know, but to see other people like you who are making it in design. And was there a lady recently came, just emailed me saying her daughter wants to get into this and she seen, but she didn't have any qualifications or something. So I gave her my story and I think that was really encouraging for them to know that you don't mm. have to have gone down that route. You know, you've just got to be tenacious yeah focused and quite driven really I guess I'm driven and passionate about what I do and it keeps me on track and so yes it's worked out for me I think what I've always admired about you is obviously you are driven and you are you have a degree of tenacity to have gone from one spot you know from one place to to another and jumped on and followed your creative path you know, you, you had the shop and then you knew when you wanted to move away from having the shop and move into design. You knew when you wanted to move into licensing, which your film, your window film is licensed, isn't it? Yeah. But you haven't got that. I think so often, again, as this is just the saturation that we see from social media, that, that if you are driven, you have to be, you know, kind of brash and hustle, hustle, hustle and have that sort of personality mm-hmm. and you can offer up a really good example to a lot of people coming into this now and thinking actually I could just be quietly driven I don't have to be yeah. I don't know if, is that the right way to describe you quietly driven you're not I think that's a that's a really good way to describe it because I am <laughs> you are <laughs> the yeah. care that you put into yeah. the quality of your product you know how how the tones are exactly it's not like you've gone right I'm gonna have a blue paper and they're very specific colors and <laughs> I've heard I've heard yeah. what you're like in the studio I shan't <laughs> share it with everybody else <laughs> Anna oh has God. a very very different idea <laughs> but that's that's but that's good because then people benefit from having you know those products don't they? Do. by having your your vision realized mm-hmm. yeah but I hope so. you had a year of college and you dropped out yeah. I did because I just um 
<sighs> I'd ended up in a ceramics group. I went to do a multidisciplinary crafts course in the end um, after a lot of applying for here, there and everywhere and not making it in on, on a degree. Despite having a portfolio that was fit to burst and an, an energy that was also fit to burst, I just quite couldn't quite find my place of what I wanted to specialise in at that time. And I'd applied for textiles and I'd applied for wood, metal, ceramics and plastics. And I'd also applied various colleges and they were like, you need to just go and make your mind up about what you want to do. And I ended up not getting in anywhere, which was disappointing to say the least, because I was just bursting with life for it. I wanted to just get to college and be making things and Anyway, the day I was I was away from my foundation on this day, and when I got back, everyone said, "Oh, this guy came from Carmarthen um, College of Art, this HND Crafts, and he just described a course that was absolutely perfect for you. It was for the maker, and and it was in the countryside, and I just had this idea. I could my kind of future flashed before me that I could go and live in after living in Leeds. This was very different for me." I could go and live in the country and I had this <laughs> image of my house and some chickens in the garden and, <laughs> and this really kind of idealistic idea of um, going to going to college in the countryside. So anyway, I went down for an interview to Carmarthen and they were so lovely. They were so unpretentious. All my other interviews were so snotty and asking ridiculous, irrelevant questions and like rolling their eyes at my portfolio, like, yeah, we've seen it all before. And they were just horrible. It always gave me a bad taste. But in Carmarthen, they were introducing me to people in the corridors. This is Hannah, she's come all the way from Leeds. And blah, blah, blah. This, is, this is Jonathan, he's doing photography. And it felt like a real community. So I got a place there and I went there when I was 18. And I lived in a beautiful Georgian, crumbling Georgian mansion with a estuary at the bottom of the garden and a castle that we could sneak into that was derelict and it, the curlews would call at night and and fits the picture of what you'd imagined <laughs> it was so lovely Nicolette honestly I was spoiled when I think of like you know Theon went to Manchester and lived in halls it was like <laughs> oh my god where's the romance <laughs> missed out on that whole those like amazing years you, you don't have curlews you don't have curlews. <laughs> what's going on you haven't got a castle to go like sing in what are you talking about <laughs> yeah so um i was having a whale of a time and the house was full of students and musicians and but then on the other hand i wasn't getting on so well at college i'd because i'd been using clay in my plaster in my foundation end of year show i'd ended up in the ceramics group and I wasn't getting on with clay and I was I really sort of lost my way. There was another course that was illustration and I was looking at that thinking maybe I should do illustration. It was actually um, wildlife illustration, interestingly. Um, I hadn't quite found my like love of nature at that point particularly, but it was interesting. And then there was another course that was um, surface pattern design and and I was really sort of snooty about the surface pattern design, thinking, oh, it's all very on the surface. It's not like... See, if that was a soap opera and we were watching your character at that point, <laughs> we would know, we'd, everyone would go, oh, that's what she's going to end up doing. <laughs> so funny. So I, I ended up just being confused. But on the other hand, I had this amazing life in my house with my new friends. We were very creative. We were always making things. 
the landlord was a carpenter. He was in his workshop making things and we would write music together and I'd be illustrating this, that and the other. It was like super creative and I didn't want to go to college anyway. So I decided I'd have a year out and figure out what I was going to do, whether it was going to be illustration, surface pattern, whatever. And in that year, I fell accidentally pregnant. I always say at this point that my my fate was decided for me at that point there was a there was a twist in the in the road and I wasn't upset or unhappy I was it took a, it was a bit of a shock to begin with but I really embraced it and just thought my god I'm gonna be a mum I'm gonna live in the country we're gonna go for country walks gonna get those like, chickens <laughs> never ever got the blooming chickens <laughs> so I ended up kind of doing family life really young. I was 21 when I had Theon and uh, Ewan came along two years later when I was 23. We just had a, a quiet life in this quiet sleepy town of Larne in Wales and it was all right but I was always desperate to make things really always. That would never leave me. I'd, I'd think right I'm just going to concentrate on the kids. My time will come when I can be creative. It's going to be fine. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to put it away and then the next day I'd be like, oh, but I've just got to draw this. I've just got to make this. I describe it as another child pulling at my skirts going, mom, what about me? What's about me? Don't forget. Do you know, I think that's the difference with creativity. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, some angry accountant will now email me after this goes out and says, no, no, I have to crunch numbers. It's inert. But I think that people who are creative they need to be creative otherwise they get quite grumpy I get quite grumpy if I'm not making stuff oh my god yeah me too <laughs> it's like my equivalent me of too. hangry <laughs> although I do get hangry as well <laughs> if I don't eat I have to have like emergency crisps <laughs> in my studio <laughs> <laughs> well, you see yeah that's it I always I felt a little bit it was hard because they'd want my attention and and they didn't always get it. And for a lot of years, I felt slightly guilty about that. Like there's a lot to feel guilty about in parenthood oh, gotcha. often. And that was one of the things that would get me. But then now they're 20, whatever they are. Fionn was 27 last week and that's really old. But they're like little entrepreneurs. You know, they know, they, they follow their creative longings with passion. And so I am actually no longer guilt. That guilt has been transformed into kind of into pride. Well, you and gave joy, them that example, really. didn't you? Which was to, you exactly. know, to follow your passions. Exactly. I didn't know I was doing that at the time. I was just kind of trying to follow my passion. But yeah, it's um, it has paid off. So were you quite creative with them? Because I know you're saying you weren't trying to purposely show them to you know be passionate about creativity and follow your dreams but do you think that you know did you yeah we were all was there a part of you that fostered create because you have creative children yeah yeah every time Fionn sings on Facebook I cry and she's not my kid it's so beautiful (laughs) though isn't it it's just the voice yeah and now she's making a shirt so for anyone who doesn't have obviously anyone who doesn't know Anna's daughter she's a a web designer (laughs) As, uh, so she's very creative in her 
job but then she she will do other things she's like she's making this shirt at the moment I've just seen I'm really jealous of how good she is at that and she sings and plays sewing has skipped a generation <laughs> I do not sew that's something that makes me really irritable <laughs> I'm knitting as well I'm just not very good at all that but my mum was you know I sent an article to a friend of mine about how knitting reduces lowers mm-hmm. your blood pressure and she sent back to me she's like you clearly not knitting. <laughs> I'm with her <laughs> Did you, yeah, I, you Hannah relates to that <laughs> creativity doesn't necessarily mean that you've got artistic talent but create being creative I feel is still really really important yeah. for people and I'm, I'm trying to foster a creative household mm-hmm. partly because I think it's important and partly because selfishly I think then then they'll do stuff next to me and I'll get more time for making <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's an ulterior motive there and you know it's my eldest Sebastian who's seven he's obviously very creative mm. and I thought oh I've nailed it I'm really good at parenting <laughs> and Humphrey will sit down for five minutes and he's just like you get all the paints out you get all this and he's like puts a lot he's like right I'm done I'm done yeah I'm like, oh, oh, that was just you. That had nothing to do with my parenting at all. That was just your personality. Can't take credit. <laughs> do you think you could take credit? Oh, um, no one's listening. <laughs> I take credit for the good bits, but not for the bad bits. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do the same. Must be a parent. <laughs> so when? So I was just going to say that. So. When did you move from Wales back to Yorkshire? Um, I stayed in Wales for seven and a half years and we moved back in 1999, um, back up to Yorkshire. I didn't want to go back to Leeds again after having lived in the proper countryside, but Hebden seemed like a really nice compromise because it was close on the train to Leeds and Manchester, and but it still was nestled in the hills and could still really enjoy the nature I didn't have any of my friends who'd had children young and I don't know we just felt a bit sort of lonely at school we hadn't we hadn't found our group of people and I did, just felt a, I don't know it wasn't the it didn't feel like the right school we were sort of itching for a bit of a move my partner at the time's mum had moved to Hebden Bridge and we came to visit her and we were like oh hmm yeah this, this this seems good and for me it was like about the architecture that you know coming from Leeds and growing up in like a Victorian house with sash windows and I'd missed that in Wales they're beautiful Georgian um, lovely old buildings as well but there was something about kind of Yorkshire sandstone and the right sort of pavements <laughs> I don't know it just felt like you know. the right pavements I know I know what you mean it's it is a very it's a unique landscape isn't it even the urban landscape and you know rural somewhere it looks like I always know when you you know you've been away and you're driving back I always know when I've hit Yorkshire before I see the sign on the motorway yeah exactly there's just something changes and and it felt exciting to be coming back so it was lovely really lovely coming back and you know so initially I'd been drawn to the the buildings and the landscape and the countryside And I didn't really realise at the time what an amazing community it was and a great place to be bringing up kids. And there was also a nice music scene as well because I'd, you know, been singing and writing music while I was living in 
my lovely castle house. It was full of surprises and it just kept kept on giving. So that was in 1999. And by this time, Fionn was at school all day and Ewan was in nursery. So I'd have this two and a half hour window in the morning of me time. And I got myself a little studio at North Lights and it was very um, cheap to rent. And I got myself a little tiny studio and I used to go there as soon as Ewan had dropped him off at nursery. And then I'd run back down the hill at 29 minutes past 11 to go and pick him up. And I'd have this little window of time. And that's when I started carving out what it was that I was going to do. Because I had sort of no idea at that time. Started making handmade cards and the silhouettes on the cards that I'd paper cut. I was always holding up to the light. A friend in my studio group, Hilary Roberts, a ceramicist, she was she was like further down the line. She kind of mentored me, really. She had things in galleries and even in the V&A. And she'd been in all the magazines with her ceramics. And she sort of helped me out and she made suggestions. And she was like, why don't you make lights? And it was at that moment that I literally saw them flash before me. It's like, ah, yeah, I could do that. And the rest was history. They kind of de- developed since then. Um, they kind of I can't remember yeah. what question you asked me but you know <laughs> the story is unfolding <laughs> that is why we came the story's here. unfolding anyway I think that's one of the things that that maybe is missing now is inexpensive mm. art studio space because it, it, it's interesting you say there was sort of an yeah. unofficial mentoring so you could go so you would have someone at the beginning of their journey other people there and there was a more of a, a community but I, I would think how would people afford to pay the prices now my partner and I are often talking about how sometimes maybe Hebden Bridge has become a victim of its own success in that sense usually when we're being old and curmudgeonly and looking at walking past windows where they're ready to go going <laughs> who would pay that money oh look at the overheads on that shop before they'd even make anything and they're not sold stock Oh yeah, shops are so expensive these really, days. Really, really hard mm. from 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 that side. It's um, the age of the landlord, isn't it? Really, change the face of the high street if they brought the rent down. Absolutely, a, bit. a lot. <laughs> there, yeah, there just seems to be a confusion in my mind of why you would rather have a property that's invariably empty rather than and earn nothing from it then earn less and have Absolutely. it filled with something wonderful that baffles me baffles me as so well so baffled maybe that's yeah but i don't understand being rich so maybe that's maybe it's something that they understand <laughs> because they're wealthy and i just don't get it's like you get like a handbook when you earn a certain amount of money <laughs> you know how you you said that becoming pregnant was like a deciding like almost like these serendipity moments that have happened of like well I left and I became mum so the the part of the creativity you did wasn't was just for yourself then and you weren't trying to please a tutor so and then you mm. have this other serendipity moment sort of moving to somewhere that it is it's always you know as long as I've known it to be it's been very artistic and, and crafty yeah. as Hebden Bridge well, I didn't know that at the time that was another thing that unfolded another surprise so and and if you think about like how it was at the time like in in 2000 
don't know. When did you move here, uh, Nicola? I don't know how far back you go. 2006, maybe? Okay. I don't know. You're asking oh, me to you do mental you arithmetic now, of, Hannah. This, that's you before. <laughs> You were right at the time in the high street was yeah. changing. When I first moved here, it was it was different. It's a little bit tired, but but different in that the craft resurgence hasn't happened at that point. It was very much antiques and bookshops. And one by one was when Organic House took on Commerce House, mm. which used to be a shop that sold like your school pumps and yeah, the indoor shoes. Yeah, it's kind of really different. And then Heidi got organic house and opened this lovely beautiful cafe and organic um, food shop and then one but it was like a domino effect down the street things really began which was where I first saw your lamps absolutely yeah organic house had mm. them on the windowsill at the back and every time I'd walk past Heidi had come out waving me with a fist of cash going we've sold some we've sold some <laughs> that's really nice <laughs> it was just the perfect time but even like five years before if that was happening it I might I know, it's just that the conditions were just right to accept yeah. that shop at that time in my life on the high street. You don't want to be too soon, but you don't want to be too late. And it, yeah, and just everything has to fall. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, no idea how it was going to turn out. And at the time, that shop rent was not too expensive. It didn't seem too daunting. You know, for those of you who don't know Hebden, bridge it's going through you know you will have seen it they write about it in the guardian <laughs> all the time uh which which is why i blame that on the house prices not when i was selling my <laughs> yeah. house in hopton bridge but bloody guardian putting house <laughs> prices up they you know suffered so much with floods yeah. and repeatedly which hasn't helped and price hikes in rent especially commercial rent and now I see it's interesting that you say that because I arrived sort of at the rise of the craft shop yeah really uh, you were open and heart gallery had just opened yeah they were shortly after me all sorts of little shops as well pop-up things and downstairs in the trades club there was always the craft market now I kind of feel that Hebden's in this era of the coffee shops yeah it's in it's the tea room and panini place now and it's yeah, like, the food the food phase and the bar that you have for evening oh the, yeah the micro bar mm. <laughs> everything's yeah. a bar <laughs> if yeah. you stand still too soon you, you'll be turned <laughs> or into a pizza shop there's a lot of those now <laughs> yeah i'm very i like to be very business loyal with food as well i always assume that everybody else is that loyal and then i worry <laughs> I have such undue worry for, for small business owners. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. what happens when you live in a small community because you're very emotionally involved with people who own businesses and they're <laughs> your friends. I get really concerned. And... It's interesting about the the cyclical nature yeah. of, of things because I always feel that like going back to your creative factors that I've noticed, like this cycle of how you say you were holding up greeting cards to the light and seeing the shadow play and then the way that your your lights were very much like a a play on shadows rather than a play on light and the shadows that they cast from so it's kind of for me looking at it it's always like you have these two strains of this nature and you're bringing us along on your your nature walk and showing us that leaf or that piece of cow parsley this play of 
of shadows yeah. which and now you do these little laser cut pieces and when I see them I just imagine all the different places that I could put them in my home and make <laughs> the shadows like was that a purposeful thing when you created them not 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 so much actually with how the shadows are created with the tiny treasure cuttings but just going back to window film that really is about shadow with the lights to begin with you know I'm, I'm cutting out silhouettes and and cutting out bits for the light to shine through the wallpaper was about the same motifs and the same um, silhouettes but it was no longer about the light because you couldn't get the light to shine through the wallpaper but the window film was just magic for me because it was like a surface pattern but there was light involved as well which was sunlight the, the window film has different um, finishes different options and the one that's got the clear uh, motifs when the light shines through it it sends incredible silhouettes of all the grasses and flowers onto the surrounding um, surfaces and what I love about it is that it's really fluid it changes with the light changes with the time of day changes when the cloud comes and passes by and so it was suddenly there was surface pattern but there was also light and it brought the whole thing full circle which is so lovely for me but the um, tiny treasure decorations that you speak of, I didn't really consider those to be creating shadows. That's really funny that you should say that. I've not really thought about it. I see them, you know, when they're in a window and they make a really beautiful silhouette. It is about the silhouettes. But in fact, rewinding the story right back to handmade cards all those years ago in North Lights, holding silhouettes up to the light. I wished at that point that I had my own laser cutter, but I couldn't afford it then. It was it was way out of my league, way out of my price range, even way out of an Arts Council funding bid because they were so expensive yeah. back then. So I hand cut for a while everything, and that was my thing. I was kind of proud of it. So I hand cut my shapes, and but after a few years, I was really struggling with a sort of repetitive strain injury in my back and kind of a bit lopsided and carpal tunnel-y type thing going on in my arm and it's like I can't do this I can't sustain this level so I started outsourcing my laser cutting to a man who lived in Devon but at the time there weren't many laser cutters about but he'd started cutting as his retirement job so I knew that at some point down the line he was going to actually really retire and then I'd be like oh what am I going to do now so I started thinking, oh, maybe now, now I'm in my bigger studio, a machine of my own. And it was so exciting when it came. Oh, my God. Because suddenly I could bring to life all of those little motifs. And I'd just done the Tiny Treasures wallpaper and the book in that year. So we needed things to just play with on the machine to learn how to use it. And they were so cute just hanging around. They'd be everywhere on all the surfaces and the desks and like how can we make these into something because they're amazing when you hold them up to the light so then started playing with thicker papers and that's when the little tiny treasure decorations were born so yeah it's just it lovely how different organically bits have come to life yeah and it was one one of the things that made me want to move out of the shop was the sudden desire to make pattern to make wallpaper and I didn't have any space in the back of the shop to put anything on the wall at all and stand back from it that was just it was fit to burst and experiment with making a whole new product and that was a different 
bleak for me. I'd only ever made things to order. I didn't keep any stock. I didn't spend great amounts of money. But with wallpaper, I knew I was going to have to take a sort of financial leap. And I'd found lovely Anstey in Loughborough. They do smaller runs. It's only 150 rolls per colour, which is still an outlay. That's a, um, but it wasn't, isn't it? With small, any sort of small reach. scale yeah. manufacturer yeah. manufacturing to happen, you know, in, in exactly. lots of different spheres as well yeah. in textiles. But I kind of put it to the test. I did some test prints, just printed locally at the local printers, and took them to the British Craft Trade Fair on the back of my stand, and I got so much good feedback. I was like, this think this will work <laughs> just had a I need to take an idea and took the leap and I'm so glad that I did because it has been the making of the business you know it's don't have to make every single roll of wallpaper I still love being a maker and I love creating objects from nothing but there's only so many objects your hands can make and you know to provide you with um, a nice income to do the things that you want to do I don't have a lavish lifestyle but you know I want to be able to eat and live in a nice house and some of those pizza places <laughs> to try yeah, and as well. and house plans <laughs> house plan, yeah um do you know it's it's funny when I first saw you you'd started yeah. to do look at pebbles when I haven't been drawing or painting for ages you know you like kind of have to try and get your hand back in and my go-to is to just make loads and loads of watercolor pebbles so good it's so nice because you can't get them wrong because anything anything goes goes. it's it's a that's a really good exercise a good place to start because they're all just cute yeah (laughs) they are and you know I've got two children who are really good at starting a special stone collection that it's just (laughs) there's always lots of little stones and pebbles to draw from and there's all these signs like do not remove these from the beach I was like please tell my children that stop it you're going to get us arrested (laughs) the beach police (laughs) if you were to give this is a horrible question and um, I know it's a horrible question because I hate when people say things like this to me but I'm going to ask it anyway (laughs) if you were to give advice to which you've just done actually so I don't feel too bad about it in an email Hannah I've got all these creative ideas and I want to make a living what can you give me any advice what would you do I think just to really listen to the creative ideas that <laughs> I can't you can't use the phrase spark joy anymore because you'll get it's like <laughs> no because that's just tidying up <laughs> but no but has it been copyrighted? Are we allowed to say spark joy? <laughs> I'm not sure. Anymore. Don't say every I'm little saying. helps because that's been copyrighted. <laughs> it's the things that you feel the most excited about that you're going to have the most energy for and that will be, it will be evident. Your energy and your excitement will be evident in that thing that you make, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> actually been so lovely to chat it's with you really nice. and for people to share your creative journey thank you very much for asking me to share my creative journey it is something that i really like talking about it's nice to reflect and yeah see how far you've come <laughs> well thank you for being with us <laughs>